Welcome to Creating Your Happy Place, a podcast that explores how our spaces support or sabotage our happiness and then empowers you to do whatever it takes to get happy at home. I'm Rebecca West, host of Creating Your Happy Place and author of the book, Happy Starts at Home, and I'm so glad you're here today. Our guest today is a writer and author who has been called America's most loved home and lifestyle expert. And I'm excited to interview her not just because her articles and books have been helping people live better, more beautifully, and more sanely on a budget for almost two decades, but also because her book, The House Always Wins, was one of the books I turned to for inspiration when I wrote my own book, Happy Starts at Home. So basically, I'm interviewing one of my home design heroes today. I am delighted to welcome to the show nationally syndicated home and lifestyle columnist, speaker, and author, Marnie Jameson. Welcome, Marnie. Rebecca, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm so excited to have this conversation today. We've been learning from you for years, but there's always more to learn. You have been through a few homes in your lifetime and a couple of marriages. You currently live in what you describe as a beautiful, if imperfect, blended home in Winter Park, Florida, with your husband, three dogs, and the occasional visiting adult child. (laughs) You have also written at least four books on home, including Downsizing the Blended Home, The House Always Wins, and my favorite title, House of Havoc, How to Make and Keep a Beautiful Home Despite Cheap Spouses, messy kids, and other difficult roommates. After all that, what I want to know is this. Do you think that your home is connected to your sense of well-being and to your sense of self? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that your home is the first place where you feel that something's wrong. Mm. If there's something that's just not working in your life, you feel it at home. And I think you really need to tune in. Your home will talk to you all the time and tell you, this is not you anymore. This is not what you need to be, how you need to be living now. And it's time to change things up. So I think you need to tune in. I'm not like talking about some airy, fairy, spiritual, you know, psychic thing at all. I'm just saying that um, your house is a really big reflection of your psychology. And if things are in disarray, then probably your life is too. Mm -hmm. In the home where you live now, what are some things you've done in that space to make sure it's taking really good care of you? Um, I need order, but my husband doesn't have as big a need for that. He's a lawyer and he's German and having piles of papers around him makes him feel productive. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel nuts. Mm -hmm. And so when we got engaged and I saw how he lived and I knew how I like to live, I said to him, honey, I don't just like order. I require it for my mental well-being. And so he, he feels like he's in, you know, busy and, and important when there's a lot of papers around him. So we have agreed that that's okay in a spot. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I make sure that the rest of the place is clean. And he really respects that. So I do have a housekeeper that comes in once a week. So I'm not doing it all and getting wigged out, but I do need to have order and I need to have things clean and I need to have things put away and the counters not cluttered. And that's what I require. I know it for my mental health. Well, and it's so 
Interesting. People will say, you know, my partner has piles, they've got clutter, and they will associate that with, say, being lazy or being a slob. And you just identified a completely different reason for why somebody might have piles. And so getting underneath what the assumptions are or the associations that we have with whatever the thing is, and really with your heart, trying to figure out where your partner is coming from and what they need so that both of your needs can be met. That's impressive. It was eye-opening and especially now with COVID when he's working from home and doesn't go into his office, um, it takes a little bit more of an adjustment, a little bit more of a stretch for me, but he, he really thrives on lots of projects all around, like we said. So as soon as I understood that, it wasn't about being a slob or being lazy, but it made him feel productive. Um, I was able to, okay, well, at least can we just corral it? Can we make it stay in the kitchen table area? It is important, as you say, to get under the psychology of it and help, you know, you're not wrong, I'm not right. But I do say I have to, I have to have this level of order and cleanliness in my life to feel like I, I can take on the world every day. So you're not just getting under his psychology, but you are also taking the time to really dig under your own too, right? Not to say, The world should be tidy because it has to be tidy and because that's just the right way to live. You identified that it creates that mental chaos for you and you found ways, sounds like, to express that to him in a way that wasn't blaming or accusatory so that you could both understand where the other person is coming from, which is kind of what marriage is about. (laughs) Yeah, it, it does help to get to the psychology of it. And I do think your homes are a complete reflection of your psychology. And, and if there are two people, they're going to be two vibes and you've got to figure out what the sweet spot is. Yeah. And do you guys have rooms of your own, like your own home office, those kinds of spaces? Yeah. Let's see. In the first house, I had a desk in the corner of the great room, which was a fail. <laughs> it was a total fail. It would look pretty and I could, you know, be in the mix, but oh, the dogs coming and going, the TV and uh, I did find out I need four walls and I need solitude to write and to think and not be distracted. He had a man cave in that first house. So he plays guitar. And so he had his guitars up there and, you know, his music and stuff. So that worked out in the new place. Um, I have the home office. <laughs> There's a room that's just an office for me. And he has taken over the kitchen table since COVID. Um, And he also has a space upstairs for his guitars and a little room that's just like a studio that's upstairs for him. He has more niches. Let's put it that way. I have one one good niche and he has two small niches, (laughs) but it, it works. Right. So you just said he has more niches. You have your one room, but you do have your room. And I'm guessing that that's pretty important. Yes. Having control over a space, I think is really important. And something I learned So we have five children between us and they are grown and out of the house, but every child, no matter how old, needs to have a touch point in that house. So my kids are on the younger side, they're both still in college, but when they come home, they never lived in this house, they were always away to school, but there's a place in the closet for them. There's their toothbrushes are in the drawer. There's the bedspread that they remember. They feel like there's a place where they belong. Where do I fit in is the question every child has in a blended home. Like, where do I fit into this new mix? And you need to physically show there's a place for them. I think that's something that's so easy to overlook and so important because that's the first thing the kid comes in and, what, and looks around and says, where do I fit in? 
Yeah, because you're trying to provide them the same sense of home and stability that you had growing up in your own home. Right. I wish I could have done that, but it didn't quite go so swimmingly for me. <laughs> well, divorce is a challenge. And as you've said, this has been a journey for you over the years. You're, you're not saying you figured it out. You're still figuring it out. What is it that you know now that you didn't know when you wrote your first book? Gosh, I've learned so much and my houses have taught me and you've taught me. You were used a word in your book, Happy Starts at Home, transitional. It's, it's a term in design when you get between traditional and contemporary styles, you have a transitional style. But you tapped into something that's so important and that's a life transition and how your house changes and evolves as you do. And I think I've learned how to let go, move on and become and I don't know that everyone's gotten that lesson. That a lot of people decorate their house, it's one and done, and it stays in a time capsule, and it never really evolves with them. And I think that learning how to let go and be open and see who you are and who you are becoming is really essential to creating a happy home and creating a place that restores and nurtures you and helps you become who you are becoming. Yeah, you know, in your book, Downsizing the Blended Home, you said something along the lines of, Life moves on and you can either go lightly or stubbornly, but go you will. It sounds like some of these lessons have been have been earned along the way. Yes, I am not an expert on anything. I am the girl <laughs> next door who's figuring it out as I go. I just try to figure it out. And I figure if I am confused, then other people are too. And I just go into it honestly. And I'm, I am never the know-it-all. I am always the one that bumbles into it and makes the mistakes and tries to figure out what I should have done. And I hope I, I spare other people from my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> what has been one of the hardest things to let go of over the years? Yeah. So one of the books I wrote was called Downsizing the Family Home. And it's, it's probably the biggest seller and the most popular. Um, and I learned it when I, care, I took care of my parents' house that they had lived in for 50 years. And it was the only house I had ever known and grown up in. And they moved into assisted living. My brother was taking care of the financial stuff and helping them get relocated. But I was in charge of clearing out that home. Everyone will have to go through it at some point to clear out a parent's home. It might be an in-law's home. It might, might be an aunt or uncle or grandparent's home. But to have your hands on the things that meant so much to them and make decisions about what to do with their history and to be a responsible steward of their past. And yet you can't take it with you. You have a fully loaded house yourself and you can't load your house up with the things that you would love to keep to hang on to them. I think that was one of the hardest, hardest lessons I have ever been through. And I learned so much in that process. And I drew on experts, grief counselors and estate planners and financial advisors and design experts, decluttering experts, all sorts of things on how to let go. And I think that you have to let go of the past and keep a few things and mementos of your parents, but you can't keep it all. My dad was not a smoker, but he worked in a cigar factory as a young man. And I have a cigar box from that, that time in his life on my desk. It's my, my pencil holder. So oh. I say keep the little stuff, the precious and the few. Keep the pearls, not the piano. So things that are small that they touched, uh, that, that they wore that were meaningful to them. I try to leave the big stuff behind. Yeah. You were clearing out a house that you grew up in, right? How does your childhood home and how you grew up in that space, how has that influenced the homes you've had as an adult and how, you know, is that what sparked all this interest you have in home? Where did that come from? Tell me about how the past and the present relate to each other. 
Yeah, um, I, I have given that some thought. And I think that I, I was so blessed with a very stable family. My mom and dad were married for 60 years and they stayed in the same house and we had, they had steady middle-class jobs and, you know, really my mom was the school nurse and dad is an engineer, you know, just a, a nice, a nice, not perfect, but pretty stable. And I think that stability has allowed me to take a lot of risks. Mm-hmm. I have moved way more and we had a confidence to take on way more changes because I think my base was so stable. I wasn't afraid. I should have been, but I wasn't. <laughs> I was just you know, jumping, the net will appear, right? So my mom did not have a wonderful eye for design. She was really tidy and really orderly and really hygienic and ran a tight ship, but she didn't have a creative eye. So it wasn't that I had that, you know, this super beautiful home. They had some things that were nice and they, they, they appreciated, but it wasn't that kind of home. My brother ironically became an architect and he's quite good. He's quite a good artist. So they, they, they had these creative kids, but they weren't themselves creative. They were pretty set in their ways. And so I don't know, they gave me freedom and permission and security, I think, to and, and my brother, too, to, to be creative. Did you end up selling that house? I did. Yeah, we, we sold it. It was hard, very hard. Um, it was, I mean, I look at that house and I say, there's no window I didn't climb through, you know, it was like, <laughs> it was where I grew up and, um, and we drive by it today and it's completely different. And there's a little family living there and that's really nice. And I'm happy to pass it along, but it was very, very, very emotional to sell that house. Yeah. When you think about both your childhood home and then just all the homes you've lived in, what rules did you once think you had to follow that you discovered you don't have to follow and what happened when you stopped following them? Yeah, I think being the live-in homestager was really the most informative and educational. I had these rules that certain things in a room had to go together. Like, oh, this is a family room piece of furniture. And this is the living room piece of furniture because that's where it always was. But as I was starting to stage different homes, I had to reshuffle the deck every time. And suddenly what used to be the, a cupboard that I had dishes in became a, a piece in the library that I put books in. So I think the ability to move things around and reshuffle the deck and that this art doesn't always have to go over that table just because it always has. And, and to see, it's really a refreshing feeling for your own eye and your own ability to appreciate what you have is to move the chairs around and shuffle it up. And I, I guess that's what's really liberated me. And, and poor Doug will come home and I'll have moved all the furniture. And he was like, wait, I'm like, oh, I just had this feeling that this might look good here. Let's try it. So I don't know. I think that permission to just try stuff, new stuff and, and try new paint colors and, you know, the difference throw pillows can make or an area rug, small changes with big, with big impact. And they don't have to be that expensive, but they can be transformational in a room. That's marvelous. Yeah. Now you also have a, your other book, Downsizing the Blended Home, was about getting married as an adult and trying to merge two lives. How has that journey gone? It's going very well. Thank you. We've been married five years. I met a wonderful man who was a widower and his wife died. And so therefore he had the whole house. He had everything and he hadn't moved in 17 years. I learned a lot of lessons when I cleared out my, my parents' home and letting go of things in my past that meant things to my parents. And that was a really big journey. And then I went through a divorce about the same time. I moved out of a big family home in Colorado to Florida. 
and I became a live-in homestager. I lived in high-end homes that were having challenges selling, and I decorated them with my belongings, and I lived beautifully and cleanly. You could show the house at any time of day, and it would look great. And then when that house sold, I would do it again. So I lived in six houses over four years. I got really pared down. <laughs> I got rid of a lot of stuff because I looked at everything and said, do I want to move that box of books again? No. So dishes, everything, clothes, I just really pared down. So I was lean and mean. I'm like, hey, I already cleaned up. It's your turn. And he's like, well, how come I'm throwing everything away? And I was like, oh, honey, I got this. I can just, 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 you don't worry about it. I'll just you decorate, you know, you just go to work. And then I realized he actually had thoughts and opinions and wanted his stuff to be reflected too. He said a very key thing to me. I don't want to feel like I'm living in your house. So that became a very eye-opening time for me. I had to really be humbled and really stand down and say, look, this isn't about, I know more than you do. This is about how, making sure he was reflected in the home. So I needed to make room for him and his look and his feelings and his artwork and what really mattered to him and make it blend beautifully, which was not without its hiccups. And it sounds like as I read your books and just hearing you now, it's like life lessons. You're talking about how to honor other people and how to have conversations that aren't so charged emotionally. And like these things go so far beyond the home. So you're learning them because you're trying to figure out how to deal with throw pillows or whatever, but it sounds like it has far reaching application. I have always said that I do not see where home design and home life divide. They're a blur to me. And that's why I wrote the house of havoc. It's like, how do I create a home that everyone can live in and not vote me off the Island? I mean, I don't want to be the, the tidy police with my whistle saying, get your feet down and put your dishes away. And that, what do you mean on the white sofa you're eating, you know, spaghetti? I don't want to be the shrew in the house. So how do you meet your family halfway? How do you buy throw rugs that are the color of your footprints? You know, you don't get a white sofa if you've got kids and pets who like to have a life on the sofa. So anyway, it, it's, it's about really creating a livable way of life and not a crazy obsessive way of life. And I think that's really important. And also, I think you touched quite a few times on knowing what outcome you're, you're looking for, that the outcome isn't the white sofa, the outcome is a happy home. And maybe the white sofa is not the ingredient that's going to get you to your bigger outcome. Right. Which gets back to the blended home is, do I want to have a house with, of all my stuff or do I want to have a house where my partner and I can grow together and feel feel reflected? And and the dirty little secret in that book, Rebecca, is, you know, I, I said initially we each have to give up half a house. One house plus one house has to equal one house. So that's that's math. And you've got to give up half a house. But really, you've got to give up a little more than half because you need to make room for the hours. So you want yours, mine and ours. And so if you give up a little more, you make room for you two to develop a look together, buy art together, buy furniture together, and then it becomes far more meaningful. That is, I love that, that's so beautiful. Now you had a, kind of a stable upbringing, so you were allowed to be creative, which is marvelous, but with creativity comes mistakes. And I've certainly done some things in my own home where I'm like, well, that didn't work. What do you have on your list of things where you're like, yeah, won't do that that way again? Well, the thing I have definitely learned is don't buy more house than you can furnish. I think that people have this idea that they'll just get this big house and they shoot for as much house as they can afford. 
and forgetting that one designer told me that it's about 30% of the cost of a house you should spend on furnishing it. And not many, many people have that left in their budget once they buy a place. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it really great. And it kind of just eats away at you when you live in this house that you can't furnish. It's so sad. And you're like, you know, you go buy these big houses with these plastic lawn chairs out front. You're like, what happened here? You know, you can't afford to get the nice patio furniture because your mortgage has got you so strapped. So I just think, you know, don't worry about big. I would rather have a jewel box that's just really beautifully taken care of and furnished with every detail than some big cavernous place. It's just overwhelming to me. You said in the book that the floor plan defines how you live. And I thought that was so interesting. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So one of the benefits of living in so many houses in um, a few years is you do realize the adjacencies. And so if you don't have a kitchen that looks onto the family room, you're going to be left out of the conversation. So it does matter. I've had um, wonderful access to outdoor space and I've had outdoor spaces that are difficult to get to. You're going to live a lot more outside if your outdoor space is, has a nice flow to the, to the house, entertaining out there and living out there. So you really need to look at the flow of a house and how you want to live and make sure that it's going to accommodate that or change it so it does accommodate how you want to live. I love that too, because you did try to make the happy yellow house mm-hmm. work and stay your house because it was such a saga to get that house and to move in together and everything. And in the end, it sounds like you did try to figure out how you could make it work and it didn't. Yeah, it's okay to be wrong. And here I was, it was so ironic, the quintessential downsizer. And I had had the big, huge house in Colorado I had staged these beautiful big homes and I was so over the big house. And my youngest was finally off to college. Doug's kids were off. And I'm like, now we can do the the, the smaller house, close into town, walk to the movies, walk to dinner, not have the overhead, a small yard. It totally backfired. (laughs) The thing about kids is they go out and meet people and they get married and they make more people. (laughs) And I'm like, I wanted to be that matriarch. I wanted to be the, the pillar in the middle of the family that the family came home to. And in this house, it wasn't going to happen. And God bless them because I was the one who said, you know, honey, if we really want to have all the kids home for Christmas and they're now, you know, so I mentioned something to that effect and I thought he was going to shoot me. I thought he's going to say, what, this is the house you wanted. We did it because you wanted this house. He did not. He said, I've just been waiting for you to say that. Oh, funny. <laughs> and he said, I've already been looking. Oh my gosh. <laughs> waiting for me to catch up because he saw that and he said well eventually she'll realize and sure enough <laughs> so we bought a house that's 19 doors down from where we were mm-hmm. so we got the place right we just needed to find a little more room and now we can we can have almost everyone over what do you think people don't think about when it comes to creating a home where do you think most of those stumbling blocks come up for with people I think they are afraid. I think they are afraid of showing their learning edge. I think they're afraid that people will come in and have a judgment. And so they play it too safe. They do beige on beige or gray on gray, and they get some innocuous art and they're hiding behind it because they just don't have the creative courage to make a bold move. And I think they would find it to be so much fun if they gave themselves permission to put a fuchsia pillow 
on the leather sofa or do something a little a little bizarre don't go overboard but but have take take a chance take a risk you don't maybe want to paint the whole room orange but maybe an accent wall just to jazz it up add texture add add whimsy i think people need to take a little bit more risk and it's easy to play it safe and i understand that it's expensive to you don't want to make you don't want to do that with your sectional you know spend a lot of money on a on a major piece of furniture and and don't get something that's floral and, and lime green I, I don't think that's a good way to go but in in spots you know have a little fun and i have always felt and i think you feel similarly that taking those risks at home kind of grows the muscles for taking the risks in other areas of our life too. It's all, as you said earlier, interconnected. Oh, yes. <laughs> my kids, I've seen it with my daughters that when they're growing up, they're rearranging their rooms that they were about to go through a big remodeling of their life. And it's so um, intertwined. You, you hear of women who are pregnant and start nesting and they start, you know, putting their nursery together. They, they suddenly clean the house like they're going to a frenzy of cleaning, it's remodeling their lives because their life is going to change. And it's all very intertwined with relationships. You definitely have to do it when you're moving in with somebody. It's not just about moving your clothes over in the closet and say, you know, find room in the drawer. You really have to say this home's about you and let's remodel because we're remodeling our lives. Yeah, absolutely. There's, you share some, um, stories of real life people in the end part of your book and and some of those stories of making it work and sometimes not making it work like the things you discover about your relationships when you move in together there was one couple in there that moved in together and through that process figured out it wasn't for them that was really interesting yeah and they're still together it was a mistake to be in the same house, but it wasn't a mistake to be together. There's a trend. Uh, it's the LAT trend, living apart together. And it works for a lot of people. You know, there's no thermostat wars. This, you know, the person who snores, whatever it is that makes you not want to sleep over. <laughs> they have their own space and it works out. It just goes to show that whether it's a relationship or a home, there's no rules you have to follow. The dining room can be the living room and you can live apart together. Like, just figure out what's going to work for you and then run with it. There's no right or wrong. What is one thing in your home right now that makes you seriously happy? Gosh, so much. I love my home. I really love my yard. We recently redid it and there's a covered patio that I sit out on all the time. There's a fan overhead because in Florida it gets hot and just enjoying the green space. And I'm seriously happy sitting outside. And I bring my laptop out there. I bring my coffee out there. I bring my phone out there. And I just hang out in the covered patio and look out in the yard. And that gives me a lot of calm. There's a fountain and I enjoy it. Like a little park. It's interesting because several of the guests I've talked to have mentioned the outdoor spaces when we've had these conversations about home. Really? Yeah. Has that come up a lot in your writing, the outdoor spaces as part of home? Well, I just, like I said, we just redid the yard and I kind of, ignored it. It was in the new, the newer house. We've been there three years and we were doing so much on the inside. Eventually we get to the backyard and I just did not realize how much a redesigned yard, how much of a difference it can make. And wow, it has really transformed how I live. And it was a very ho-hum, mediocre yard. You can Google Marnie Jamison outdoor landscaping. It was a four or five part series and you see the befores and afters and it is really, really something. Um, and I just totally underestimated how much I would appreciate it. 
So that's been really cool. When things turn better out better than you expect, it not, doesn't happen often enough, but <laughs> this was one of those times. Has it made you use the inside of your home differently? Well, we have, yes, um, flow from three brooms, from our living room, our family room, and the master bedroom onto the yard. So often we'll open the doors and just kind of come and go through those spaces a little bit more where before we'd make just a U-turn and bypass all of that. Now we come and go a little bit more. Of course, our air conditioning bill has gone way up because we leave the doors open all the time. So that's been a problem. <laughs> you got to fix that. That's funny. So what advice would you give to someone who's trying to create their own happy place? Don't copy anybody else. You are a one of a kind. Don't worry about the color of the year, what's in style. Find a color that you like to live in and your partner too. If you're making a home for both of you, make sure they have the things that they matter. It doesn't matter how big they are, but like Doug has these Cochina dolls from a time he spent in Arizona and they're important to him. So they, you know, they're not big, but they're important. So really showcase what matters, listen to what matters, and then build around that and make sure your home is, is you. It sounds so cliche, but don't be afraid to be you and you're going to feel really great coming home. That's fantastic. So what's coming next for you and where can folks find you? Oh gosh. Well, I have a new book coming out next year. It's called What to Do with Everything You Own to Leave the Legacy You Want. That's coming out in um, in the spring. And uh, people can find me at marniejameson.com. I do write a weekly column. And if it isn't in a paper near you, I post it three weeks later on my blog. And my blog is free and anyone can subscribe to it. It's at marniejameson.com slash Marnie's blog. So Find it, subscribe, and you'll um, hear from me every week. And I hope that's that's fun for you. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I've really, really enjoyed talking with you. Oh, Rebecca, I've enjoyed it so much. We could be fast friends. <laughs> I know. You know, it's just if only you weren't in Florida and I weren't in Seattle. We got to meet somewhere in the middle. Exactly. And to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Creating Your Happy Place and that you feel a little bit more encouraged and empowered to make your home your happy place. If you feel stuck, please do check out my book, Happy Starts at Home, or any of Marnie's books. They are all filled with tips, tricks, stories, and exercises meant to help you figure out why your home might not be working for you and identify what needs to change. And if you have a specific design dilemma in your home, you can also reach out to my team at Seriously Happy Homes because thanks to the magic of the internet, we can meet with you over Zoom to help you out no matter where you call your home. In the meantime, no matter where you call home, how big it is, how small it is, who lives with you, or anything else that's creating the happy little stew that makes your life, I hope it makes you seriously happy. Until next time.